0: The FT's How to Build a Healthy City podcast is supported by Novo Nordisk. Listen to the end of this episode to hear how Novo Nordisk's employees are working to defeat diabetes.
1: One in five people in Copenhagen say that they have poor social relationships and half of these feel lonely.
2: That's Richard Milne, the FT's Nordic correspondent. He's been to Copenhagen to report on how the city is tackling loneliness. It's a
1: massive issue. There's data that shows that the risk of dying is twice as high if you suffer from heart disease and feel lonely at the same time. The Danish
2: capital of Copenhagen sits on two coastal islands, a busy city surrounded by water. It's full of people cycling over bridges, chatting over coffee and cake during the day, and drinking glasses of wine in the evening, with blankets over their knees during the winter. But like many cities, it can be difficult to find a group of friends. And when it's cold, as it often is, people aren't exactly keen to stop for a chat. When you go to Copenhagen in January, in the
1: midst of the winter, as I did, it's a dark, cold place, and the Danes are very good at measuring loneliness, and I think it's a particular issue in a city. People have very busy lives, and so people often do live in this kind of social isolation.
2: Richard, when you were there, did you get a a good idea of what a typical lonely person might look like?
1: You know, I think we have this classic stereotype of probably an older person living on their own, but I think you see it's a problem that goes across age groups, particularly affects the young, and I think like a lot of mental health issues, it's a difficult thing to talk about, and I think the Danes are exploring ways of how to make it easier to talk about it.
2: My name's Darren Dodd and I'm the editor of FT Health Reports. How do you build a healthy city? That's the subject of this series. I've been speaking to six FT journalists in cities around the world hearing from the politicians, health experts and local residents changing lives through creative interventions. We'll be in New York, Tokyo, Manchester, Singapore and Pontevedra in the northwest of Spain. But in this episode, we're in Copenhagen. There are multiple reasons why people feel lonely, which means finding a solution is tricky. There isn't yet a pill you can take to cure it. So what can be done to solve the problem?
3: The city, for sure, is a constant reminder that people are living better lives than you. (laughs) I mean, they don't, but it looks like it. There was a period where I wasn't feeling very good emotionally like, yeah. and it's just so hard leaving yeah. my apartment because I was super lonely and I just didn't feel like on top of my life and then you had to walk through this people sitting there drinking wine and looking fabulous and having all their friends, and you sort of forget that this might be the first time in three months they meet, but it looks like they do this all the time, you know, and it's like, oh, my God, (laughs) I'm the only one who's not being invited.
2: Richard Mill is the FT's Nordic correspondent, and he's been covering the whole of Scandinavia and the Baltics for seven years. So Richard, happiness its a difficult thing to measure, yet you often see studies that show the Danes being some of the happiest people on earth. How is it that loneliness is such a problem in a city like Copenhagen?
1: I think one of the problems is with these happiness studies. I don't think it means people are laugh out loud happy. It's a kind of quality of life thing.
2: And how seriously do they take the problem of loneliness in Denmark?
1: They're measuring it in a way that I think few other countries do. So according to the latest health statistics, one in five people in Copenhagen, that's about 100,000 people, say that they have poor social relationships. And half of these, so 50,000 Copenhagers, feel lonely. And if you look at it, it breaks down the loneliest people are actually young
2: people. And is there a sort of stigma with people talking about it, admitting that they feel lonely?
1: Absolutely. I met this actress called Amir, and I think she was an amazing demonstration of just how being lonely, you can be the complete opposite. She's a social extrovert, very lively character... Hi, come in. ..lives with her son in the centre of town... ..and yet very, very lonely. Hi, Hi. I'm Richard. Hi, I'm Amir. Welcome. Please come
3: in. Thank you,
1: thank you. (laughs) Shake off my shoes. I've always
3: been very lonely. It feels like it's part of my DNA, especially when I become a young adult. I just found myself having these friendships and relationships with young men and that I really didn't enjoy just because it felt more safe than being on my own. And then it really like crashed. When I became a single parent, and you had to like stay in the apartment when my baby, my son was sleeping. You know, he fell asleep like half past six in the evening and it was summer outside and you're sitting there, you know. And then also when you are a single parent, at least a single mom parent, you are kept out of certain social, you know, activities. I hadn't changed. Before when we were young, everyone was single and a bit in a relationship and, you know, and all of a sudden you were like the single one
1: <laughs> but it's often said in a way that it should be for the lonely person to say you know the friends might say call me if you need something yeah. or something like that yeah but, but you would argue it's, yeah totally it's,
3: it's like even though I said to people I am lonely I feel lonely help me people don't hear it because they just see this happy smiling person who's like going on trying to make the best out of life you know and doing stuff and but if you don't do stuff so people can see that you're lonely they don't want to invite you because they don't want to have lonely people over and then people normally use that as an excuse it's because you're not good at socializing or you're not like and I'm super good at socializing I'm super extrovert that's not the issue and it feels like sometimes I could just disappear and no one would notice, which makes me really sad.
1: I think one of the most remarkable elements of the conversation is when she talked about this concept that she described as a skin hunger.
3: Husult in Danish is called skin hunger.
1: I think a lot of people relate to it about physical contact and not getting enough physical contact.
3: We have professional hug givers. You can, like, buy... Time with people who give you hugs, and it's just so sad. Like, how did we go there? Like, what happened, you know?
4: We try to describe it or define it, actually, because otherwise it becomes difficult to talk about as a subjective, unpleasant feeling that arises from the experience that the relationships you actually have in your life do not correspond to the relationships you would like to have. You could also call it social thirst, or social hunger.
2: So you've also been talking to a loneliness consultant, David Vincent Nielsen. So what does he do?
1: On the one hand, he's looking at research that comes out.
4: We have this national survey where almost 200,000 Danes every four years, they answer a lot of different questions about their lives and their health, including loneliness. And we have some scientists who then try to analyse all this data that comes out and I think makes us probably the country in the world, with the best data on loneliness, which do indicate that loneliness is on the rise.
1: And then he's sort of coordinating that with the mass of volunteers that his association has and trying to put that into practice.
2: So what did David tell you about some of the causes of loneliness? It's actually
1: a very, very complex matter. Loneliness very rarely exists just in a vacuum. I mean, often the people who are lonely have other issues which may be causing it, you know, unemployment, grief, illness, and then their loneliness can in turn exacerbate
2: some of those problems. And particularly a problem in cities as well. I mean, I remember from my own experience, although I'm from a big city, when I moved to New York, although there's bustle all the time, it can be quite difficult to make contacts and to get to know people.
1: Absolutely. I mean, in a way, I think the stereotype often would be almost sort of rural isolation, isn't it? It's the old couple that lived in the countryside and one of them dies. How does he or she get to the shops or things like that? But actually in the city, despite the fact that there's so much or perhaps because of the fact there's so much life around, it's difficult. And I think modern life, everybody's so busy and time poor and that creates its own
2: difficulties as well. And what about the impact of loneliness on your actual health? What did David say about that?
1: It's a massive issue. There's data from the main hospital in Copenhagen that shows that the risk of dying is twice as high if you suffer from heart disease and feel lonely at the same time.
4: It's a part of a mental health issue and recent research has also proved that it's something that actually harm your physical health as well. If you feel lonely for a prolonged time, it's actually very dangerous to your physical health as well and you can die from loneliness. In Denmark, it has been calculated to be two people dying too early, daily. So it's 770 people on an annual basis. And this is even when you compensate for the fact that people living alone, their way of life is not as healthy as it could be. I mean, you have more smokers, more heavy drinkers, more people suffering from severe obesity or not doing much physical exercise. And, of course, you can't say this is a consequence of their loneliness, but the fact is that people who are socially isolated and feel lonely, they live lives that are much poorer than the general population.
1: Can you explain how loneliness has affected your mental and physical health?
3: I got really depressed at a certain point in my life, but there was also a lot of other stuff going on, so it's hard to say what came first. I got sick with stress also. So I've had a lot of things going on at a certain time in my life, but I don't know what triggered what. But I know for sure that being lonely, feeling lonely, while I was going through all that, did not help.
2: (laughs) So explain to us this concept of co-housing.
1: Co-housing is this idea, it's been around since the 60s, it's a Danish idea, people living together and sharing some services you know potential way of combating loneliness and so I went out to a suburb in western Copenhagen where there's a very interesting co-housing project called Lange Eng which translates to Long Meadow in English and there are 54 different houses or flats there are 200 people living there
2: tell me about some of the people
1: you met there So I met Laura, who's one of the co-founders, and Anna who's one of the residents. They've both been there since basically the beginning, so more than a decade. They both have kids and family there. I went there in the middle of January. It was pretty cold, and perhaps stupidly enough, we did most of our conversation outside next to the chickens.
5: So the architects, they chose to make all the houses, like, in a big, squarish, a little crooked layout with a huge yard inside like a farm.
1: First thing you saw when we came into the courtyard was chickens.
6: In the beginning they were going all around and some people thought that was very cosy, other people would like them to be at one spot. Rearranged <laughs> chickens. Then at a certain point they should die. We had them in a meal but they could invite the children to see you, and do you want to see a chicken become food? Mm. Come and look. <laughs> well, that's a very. But I, I think that's one of the Great values that you could never do by yourself if you were just yeah. one family. <laughs> mm.
1: But is that the crux, what you really just said there, that it's things that you can't have if you live on your own? I mean, well, that's well, the, I the, th- the basis th- of yeah. this.
6: Yeah, I think that's very very, so.
5: uh, And that was, of course, the, <laughs> the idea from the architects that inside it should be easier to see each other and see each other's houses If you have a small child, you can actually just let them loose and then you can just look after them from the other side of the courtyard. (laughs)
2: That's so nice. Is this any different to that classic notion of the commune, especially in Scandinavia?
1: It was more about this sense of community community of doing things together, of living a bit more closer together, of solving things together, but then having your own private space. There's a big communal part of it, centred around the kitchen. Then there are other communal areas. There's a place where you can do yoga and meditation and the kids can kick around indoor football. And then there's also this sort of cafe. And so I think this is something that actually almost coming from the ground up rather than the top down so these are people who want to have kind of more of a connection with people i mean we talked about the idea of whether it sort of offered free babysitting because there were 50 other families
5: one day i saw a neighbor with his cargo bike and like five or six children standing in it and it looks so crazy And he's just so energetic and effective and happy. And he was just like, yeah, but you know how many days I don't have to pick up children when I have so many with me now? (laughs) It was just just amazing.
1: And the idea is also that everybody has to, to muck in, as we were saying. I mean, you have to join in.
5: Everybody has to contribute on a daily basis. The most important work is cooking and cleaning. And we actually cook in the common house common meals, uh, six times a week.
1: But those meals, are you obl- not obliged, but you encouraged to eat them every day, or is it a sort of you can decide which days you eat them? Or?
6: You can absolutely decide yourself. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you can decide if you want to <coughs> eat with the others or if you want to take it home to yourself and eat in family. Yeah.
2: It's very uh, open.
5: Well, we have to yeah. walk yeah. a little. Let's do
2: And is this a real solution to loneliness, do you think?
1: I think it's a real solution. I don't think it's the solution. As both Laura and Anameta said, they themselves have been lonely while living there. I don't think there's such a thing as a cure to loneliness, but there are things that make it easier to kind of come out of that loneliness, and that seemed to be very much their experience.
6: When we come back to loneliness, I heard a remark once from one of the others, who said, how can it be we're living in a community and I feel lonely? How can it be? And I thought, well, we all do once in a while. So it's not a cure in that way. I think what is the difference is the access is easy, but you still have to have the guts and the energy yourself to go out and reach out.
5: I think our community replicates more a smaller village, both the ups and the downsides of that life. They've got more gossip, but also uh, people actually follow each other's lives.
2: So we've heard about the loneliness experiences of the elderly and families and the middle-aged. What about Copenhagen's younger citizens?
1: One of the issues with younger people is a lot of people moving into Copenhagen to study at university. And then what they find is you know, housing is expensive. It's difficult to get. It's difficult to find people to live with. You've no longer got your school network. And actually making friends is really difficult in the Nordic region. It's something I can really relate to. I find, you know, Nordic people are very friendly, but it just can be very difficult as an outsider to break into some of these social structures. And I think as a young person, people assume that you're going to be social and that everything's going to be all right. So tell us about Ventilen. Ventiland's this organisation focused on 16 to 25-year-olds and on helping them through their loneliness. I think in capital cities, people are basically left to themselves. In provincial cities, there's much more of a communal vibe and events going on, and I think it's easy to get lost in this. Um, And something like Ventiland shows that actually there's this huge need for bringing younger people together. (laughs)
7: <laughs> loneliness has always, for a long time, been something that's been haunting me. I had a hard childhood, and I had a hard time connecting with people and letting people in. It's really hard to see it, but when it really, really hits you, you can really feel the loneliness. My name is Kasper. I'm 25 years old and live in Copenhagen. We are in uh, ventilen Copenhagen, or Copenhagen which is a meeting place for young people between 15 and 25 that feels lonely. It is, what could you say, it's hosted by volunteers. My name is Daniel. I am 24 years old, and I'm from Copenhagen. I've been a volunteer for, I think, uh, over half a year. I'm more here to help people who are struggling with this. I think having friends is just so crucial to your existence. And I'm fortunate enough to have friends, so I know how much I value them and how important they are to uh, my life. Okay, I think I just need to think about what I'm going to say. Okay, we have the board, so it's called the Go Ventil, which kind of translates into it's very nice if you did this in Ventil. And it says take your shoes off, leave your phone in the pocket, be on time, take initiative to hang outside with friends outside of Ventil. Today we just have a game night with board games and card games and uh, coffee, tea. I always like the board games. It's easy to talk with people, it's easy to engage with people and uh, be part of the game. Like it can be really hard to be in social for some of us. I had a really hard time being with people outside of studies. At some point I actually um, I went down with stress from an exam and had to... Go on sick leave, yeah, for half year. And I came back, and then I started with a, a bad cycle of being on study and on sick leave. Uh, it feels like this uh, blame that you put on yourself, like this burden on yourself, but you feel uh, hopeless to do anything about it. And it's really strange. I, I was really lucky that I had someone who could tell me that there is this place, and there is other places. I would say I'm not that lonely anymore. I'm still having a hard time opening up to people, but uh, I'm better You could call it training ground.
2: When you were speaking to David, the consultant earlier, did he think this should be a concern for the government or local council? I mean, where should the solutions come from?
1: I think he thought that this is something that really everybody should tackle, from central government to municipalities to individuals, volunteers, organisations. I mean, it's a societal challenge. So I think the first thing is really just taking it seriously, acknowledging that it's a problem.
4: I think actually that Copenhagen is improving, not in the sense that loneliness is going down statistically, but I think they have realised this is a problem, we have to deal with it. The municipality is very much involved in it. They've got a lot of different programmes, mostly at this point for the elderly, but I think... It may be because it's been a myth uh, which has been hard to kill that loneliness is something that only affects the elderly. We are pushing for a national strategy on loneliness so that we have the chance of actually addressing also the systemic issues. And this idea from the English government to have a minister for loneliness or, or rather a minister overseeing the coordination between the different ministries and making sure that you don't pass legislation without asking yourself how does it affect the local community, how does it affect the people's possibility of keeping up their social relationships.
2: But still there's this problem of gig workers like Amir who'd be kind of buzzing around. Council-organised activities wouldn't necessarily help her.
1: Yeah, and I think that's this sense. I mean, there's no one model fits all. Ultimately, it comes down to you and me, everybody thinking, could my friends be lonely? That's the thing with Amir. You can even have a lot of social contact as she does, actress, you know, plenty of other people in plays, you know, other parents at school. But it's a question of whether you're getting enough deep and meaningful social contact. It's very powerful. And I just think it's very brave to be able to open up about it, something that we just all need to get much better at talking about, at making it not taboo. So what do you find helps you ease the feelings of loneliness?
3: Um,
1: Is it what's just popped into your lap?
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, a cat.
1: Yeah.
3: yeah, Cats are good, but I need human contact. Also this feeling that someone has... Thought of me and then invited me to something. It was very nice. And also when I was feeling really, really bad and I couldn't even answer the phone sometimes because I just really didn't feel like being with people, but I really, really needed the attention. I needed to see that they were thinking about me. And then I made this female choir. So we meet every second week and sing for one and a half hour. And I know that there's one other woman in the choir who's also very lonely, and she just loves it. This is like the highlight of her week. That's when we meet and sing. So, yeah, well, relations, you know, feeling that you belong with someone, it's really helped me not feeling lonely. And then perhaps one day, also, maybe I should try and be in a relationship with someone again, you know, also that might help. I don't know. I haven't tried for many years, but I figure it would also... If it was a good relationship, of course, it would be, I think, helpful. Having more cats, no, (laughs) that's a joke.
2: (laughs) That's it for this episode of How to Build a Healthy City. Join us next time in the series where we travel to Manchester to find out the benefits of devolving healthcare to city authorities. You can listen to our show for free on ft.com, Apple Podcasts, Acast or your podcatcher of choice. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate and review the show. To read more from me and other journalists you've heard in this FT Special Report series, visit ft.com reports. I'm Darren Dodd. Thanks for listening.
0: The FT's How to Build a Healthy City podcast is supported by Novo Nordisk, a global healthcare company committed to defeating diabetes. Our primary purpose is to understand what is life like when you are living with a chronic disease. So focusing a lot on what is life like with diabetes and what is life like with obesity. Eva Van Kieler and Kirsten Lauritsen are anthropologists at Novo Nordisk. Their understanding of what it's like to live with diabetes helps Novo Nordisk to develop products that meet patients' needs. We spend a lot of time with the people we meet and we think it's so important to step into their world because it is in their world that our products have to make sense in the end. So yes, we sit in living rooms and backyards and spend a lot of time listening to people's stories.
8: Diabetes is a chronic disease that demands a great deal of uh, self care from the patient. They do not only need to measure their blood sugar and take their medication, they also very often need to adjust their diet and start doing some kind of physical activity. And those components are the most important part of the diabetes self care. So that means that we have to understand this disease in the context of people's
0: lives. One example of a person that we have met is a lady from Cincinnati who is dealing with diabetes. And she is really trying to make a living both for herself and her family because she is the only economic support of that family. She lives in a house with her brother and her sister who is in a wheelchair and also their mother who is in dialysis as a complication from diabetes you can probably imagine how little time and mental space she has for dealing with her own diabetes. She is in a system that makes it really difficult for her and her family. It's not only the social
8: and the cultural barriers. We met a woman in Germany who had the German healthcare support system, which is really, really strong. She had an education that made her able to understand the basics about her her treatment, but then she was dealing with depression. And each time she got depressed, there was no way she could take care of her diabetes. So it's not only society and culture, there can also be psychological barriers to engage in the diabetes treatment in the best way.
0: I think when we meet people, what they are dealing with, of course, comes off as an individual issue because that's how they are able to tell the story. And then it is our job as researchers and as scientists to see through those individual stories and individual factors. And that's where the scientific analysis is so important. And also the theoretical perspectives.
8: After the analysis and after understanding and being able to explain why do people actually behave the way they do, what are the drivers and barriers for their management of diabetes, we have a great job of explaining these findings to our colleagues in Novo Nordisk. We cannot use ourselves as guidelines. We cannot say, as human beings do, if I was dealing with this disease, I would do so-and-so. No, because you are actually not dealing with this disease, so you don't know. And that's where our explanations of why people behave the way they do are very important in order to create a profound understanding in the organization among our colleagues of what does it mean
0: to live with this disease. So the mantra for doing anthropology is always remembering that everything a person does makes sense. That no matter how meaningless it seems to us, it does make sense. And we have to understand what that sense is about.
8: And a lot of people with type 2 diabetes in many places of the world are dealing with very high level problems in all areas of their lives and may not be able to articulate the reasons for them behaving the way they do. And we see that as our role, understanding them and speaking their voice.
4: I'm Lars Ruhrgaard Jorgensen, president and CEO of Novo a global healthcare company with more than 95 years of innovation and leadership in diabetes care. This heritage has given us experience and capabilities that also enable us to help people defeat other serious chronic diseases such as hemophilia, growth disorders, and obesity. Part of defeating diabetes means stopping people from getting the disease in the first place. That's why we have started Cities Changing Diabetes with the ambition of halting the rise in diabetes. You can find more at the website citieschangingdiabetes.com. Thanks for listening to the FT's How to Build a Healthy City podcast, supported by Noor Nordisk.